Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Let's continue our worship by studying the Word of God, and we will start by prayer once again. Well, Father God, we thank you for your Word. I thank you for um, allowing us the privilege of being here. Lord, you blessed us with the breath of life. You blessed us with spiritual life. You blessed us with so many brothers and sisters in Christ. And most of all, we have you as our Heavenly Father. So, Lord, I do pray that you'll fill me afresh with your spirit. I pray for a timely word to share. That I would decrease and you increase. And that for each and every person in this building and on this campus... Wherever your word is taught or heard, we pray for receptive hearts and that you would transform our lives beginning tonight, Lord, and use us in a mighty way this week according to your will and your timing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we are in Mark uh, chapter 12. We'll be studying verses 18 through 34. Verses 18 through 34. And the title of tonight's lesson is God has all the answers. God has all the answers. I think it was uh, maybe a few weeks ago, um, we did a lesson on uh, missing out on the answer. And that pretty much was talking about um, people who missed out on the truth because of their own attitudes, their own negative attitudes. And in missing out on the truth. They missed out on Jesus. They missed out on spiritual blessings and spiritual benefits. So tonight, of course, we still have the word answer in the title of the lesson, but there's a slightly different emphasis or spin on it. And so once again, it is God has all the answers. And I like to start by reading a scripture from Hebrews And we'll look at chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. It says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. The Greek word behind stir is actually irritate or incite. So we want to irritate one another to love and good works. And in verse 25, it says, not forsaking or neglecting the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner or habit of some, or as some people do or have done, but in exhorting or encouraging one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so on Sundays and Of course, Wednesday nights, we gather together because, number one, we love the Lord and because the Lord tells us to not forsake meeting together. Don't stop meeting together. So as believers, we need this. We need each other. We need to meet together. We need to meet together to stir up each other to love and good works. And as we meet together and stir each other to love and good works, we urge or encourage each other to keep moving forward and to stay focused 
on the Lord. And according to the scripture here in Hebrews 10, we need to meet each other or meet together and encourage each other more and more as we see the day approaching. In other words, as it gets closer to Jesus coming back, we don't need to meet less or gather less. We need to gather more. And so, of course, the enemy knows that. Don't you know that the enemy can quote scripture? And so he knows this, but we're continuing to gather together to exhort or encourage each other. Because we know that our Savior's return for his church, his coming for his church is near. It's called the rapture when we are snatched up out of here and meet him in the air. And so since we're supposed to come together and exhort each other, as you consider the title of tonight's lesson, today's message is one of exhortation, one of encouragement or urging. So with that being said, we want to look at Mark 12, verse 18, where it says, Then some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him, and they asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us, That if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother or carry on the brother's name. Matthew 22, 23 tells us that this questioning actually happened on the same day Jesus was asked about paying taxes to Caesar. And so this is still Tuesday of Passion Week. Tuesday of the week, Jesus will suffer and will be crucified on that cross. And many of these Sadducees, this religious party among the Jews, they were wealthy merchants and businessmen. And there weren't as many Sadducees as Pharisees, by the way, but the Sadducees actually held more powerful positions. In fact, they were the elite during that time, during the time of Christ. The chief priests and even the high priests were Sadducees. They belonged to this elite group. And these Sadducees, as far as their beliefs are concerned, they did not believe in spirits. They did not believe in angels. And according to the text here in Mark twelve eighteen, they did not believe in the resurrection. Now, regarding the resurrection, the scriptures are clear. They're very clear that there will be a resurrection of the believer's bodies and even of unbelievers. We'll get to that later. But now, if this resurrection isn't true, then we have some major problems. Because remember, Jesus talked about his own resurrection And so if there's no such thing as a resurrection, then Jesus was lying at the time. Then that means Jesus is not risen. That means our preaching about Jesus and his resurrection is empty. That means that we're liars. We're false witnesses because we say that God resurrected Jesus, but he really didn't. That's if the resurrection is not real. It also means that our faith is empty. It's useless. It means that humans have no hope that this is it. It means that we're still in our sins. If there's no resurrection, it means that 
we will perish. And I do have a scripture that we can look at to support what was just shared with you. And you can go to 1 Corinthians 15 and start at verse 12. It says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. And yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. If in fact the dead do not rise, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. Verse 17, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, is useless. You are still in your sins. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. So if we're still in our sins, that means that we're still separated from God. And therefore, we're going to be separated from him, from him for eternity, eternal death. If we're still in our sins. But then it says, verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They're done. That's if, in verse 19, in this life only we have hope in Christ. And we, speaking of the believer, of all men, the most pitiable. In other words, if there's no resurrection, if it's not true, that means, of course, we have no hope. Then we are the most miserable. I believe the King James Version says that. Or most pitiable. Or of all men, we should be pitied more. If the resurrection isn't true. So folks, in other words, should feel sorry for us more than anybody. If the resurrection is not real. And so, of course, the Sadducees, this religious Jewish group, they did not believe in the resurrection. But this resurrection, of course, is the hope that we have as believers. In John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, he says, do not marvel at this. Jesus continues, for the hour, the time is coming in which all who are in the graves will, will hear his voice. And come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. If you read Revelation chapter 20, it talks about two resurrections. The first resurrection is what all believers will be a part of. And so people who are a part of the first resurrection are blessed. But the rest of the dead, it tells us in Revelation 20, they, they do not rise again until... After the thousand year period and when they rise, when they are resurrected, they'll go before the Lord at the great right throne judgment and receive their final sentence. And the scriptures tell us that death and Hades will be cast into the lake of fire, which I believe is Gehenna, it's hell, eternal death, the second death, Revelation 20 calls it. And so there is a resurrection of life for those who put their faith in Christ. And the resurrection of condemnation for those who die without having ever put their faith in him. 
the only Savior, Jesus Christ. In John eleven twenty five, in responding to Martha, who was talking to Jesus about her dead brother Lazarus, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And so when we talk about resurrection, we're talking about the body because the body is the only thing that dies. Because it says that the soul lives on. It'll live on either in hell or it'll live with the Lord. So it is the body that dies. The body, the only thing that needs to be resurrected. You know, just like Jesus was bodily resurrected. And he has a glorified body. And if you want to know what that glorified body will look like, what our glorified or resurrected bodies will look like, look at what Jesus was able to do when he came out of that grave. That gives us a hint. Also read uh, 1 Corinthians 15 in its totality. It gives you a hint, gives you some information about that resurrected or glorified body. And I can only imagine that it's going to be even way better than what's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But as you see here in verse 19 of Mark chapter 12, the Sadducees would go on to share something about the Old Testament, specifically in Deuteronomy chapter 25. And they use that information in Deuteronomy chapter 25 as a basis for their upcoming scenario about marriage because they wanted to prove again that there is no resurrection in verse 20 of of mark 12 it says now there were seven brothers so here's the sadducee scenario he said the first took a wife and dying he left no offspring And the second took her and he died, nor did he leave any offspring. And the third brother likewise. So in verse 22, it says, so the seven had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. And so after this, After presenting this hypothetical scenario, could imagine that these Sadducees thought that they had Jesus cornered. And so Jesus answered and said to them in verse 24, are you not therefore mistaken? Because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. And so for reference purposes or to fill in the blanks. You can write down Luke 20, 34. If you are super fast, you can turn there or click there, swipe there. But in Luke 20, 34, Jesus answered and said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. So those of us in this day and age, we marry and we are given in marriage. But back in Mark 12, verse 25, for when they rise from the dead, They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Note the word like. But then, again, for reference purposes, look back at Luke 20, 36. Because he says, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. See, these Sadducees. We're wrong 
about the resurrection for several reasons. First of all, they didn't know the scriptures that hinted at or taught about the topic of resurrection. They didn't know them. They didn't understand them. That's their first problem. That's why they were wrong, not knowing the scriptures. But they were also ignorant of God's power to resurrect. So because they didn't understand that, they didn't understand God's power, they, again, thought, The resurrection was false. But then their example of using that marriage scenario to show that uh, the resurrection isn't real, it, it fell flat. Why? Because Jesus pointed out that in eternity, marriage is unnecessary. There's no marriage in heaven. And so the scriptures... By the way, I need to point this out. They do not teach that people become angels. And so I know people have memorial services and they, and they mean well. Oh, so-and-so have their wings now. Or oh, they're angels now. Smiling down on us. They don't be, people don't become angels. They're still people with glorified bodies. Angels are angels. And so people do not become angels in eternity. That's why I said note the word like. Like is showing us that there's a comparison. And what is the comparison between humans with resurrected body or glorified bodies in eternity with angels? What's the comparison? The comparison is that they don't procreate. There's no need to have children in eternity. And if there's need to have, no need to have children in eternity, there's no need for sex. There's no need for marriage in eternity. There's no need to have children so our names could continue, so to speak, and especially in that scenario that these Sadducees told. There's no need for that. Why? Because we'll never die, so we don't need to have any children so our name could continue. And so there won't be anybody in heaven who is not a child of God because God doesn't have any nephews or nieces, doesn't have any grandchildren. Everybody will be a child of God, a son of the resurrection. In verse 26, still in Mark 12, it says, but concerning the dead, that they rise. Now, our Savior is still speaking. He says, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is not Verse 27, the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Luke 20, 38 says, for all live to him. And I like how Jesus ends that you are therefore greatly mistaken. You're greatly mistaken by saying that there is no resurrection. Now, Jesus used this example in one of the books of Moses, specifically in Exodus 3. To show that the Israelites patriarchs continue to live. How did he show that? He showed it by simple grammar. And so if you don't think grammar in the Bible is important, it is. Because he uses a present tense verb, am. He didn't say I was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He says I am, present tense verb. Present tense form of the verb to be. In other words, I am the God 
of these forefathers, of the Israelites' patriarchs. Now, since there is life after death, Jesus is hinting at the fact that since that's true, that means that the resurrection is not a false idea as the Sadducees thought and taught. And not only does the soul live on after the body dies, but remember it will inhabit a resurrected body. Now, now the genius part of Jesus' response is that Jesus, once again, he used the scripture from, a, from the portion of the Bible that the Sadducees believed. Again, he used Exodus chapter 3. Because the Sadducees, they only accepted the Torah or the Pentateuch, which would be the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Number, and Deuteronomy. They didn't think that the resurrection was taught in the first five books in the Torah. But Jesus, being God in the flesh, showed them that yes, it does. Just by that simple statement, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, even though physically they were dead. Another thing about these Sadducees, while I'm talking about them and what they believe or didn't believe, they, they did not even accept the oral law or the traditional law or the traditions like the Pharisees did. And so they were... They were really little different from the Pharisees. And if you read the book of Acts, as Pastor Jim is going over that book on Sundays, you can recall back to that moment where, where the apostle Paul used that argument of the resurrection to cause a rift between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees believed in spirits and angels and resurrection. But once again, the Sadducees didn't. Didn't believe in those traditions that these Pharisees believed in. But now in Luke 20, verses 39 and 40, it says, Then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. But after that, they dared not question him anymore. Then Matthew twenty-two thirty-three, 33, as we fill in the blanks here, it says, And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And we continue in Mark 12, 28 now. You see the connection. So now the Pharisees, they're together now. They gathered. Man, he he really dealt with those Sadducees. He, He shut them up. And now one of the scribes in Mark 12, 28 which is a teacher of the law or an expert in the law of Moses, he came and having heard them reasoning together, having heard the Sadducees and Jesus reasoning together, he perceived that Jesus had answered them well. And he asked Jesus, testing him. Darrell, where, where does it say testing him? That's in Matthew twenty-two thirty-five. if you're curious. But this, this scribe said, which is the first or most important commandment of all. Jesus answered this scribe, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. That's quoted from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. 
Then he goes on and says, and the second, like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater or more important than these. And that's quoted from Leviticus 19.18. Do you think the reading the entire Bible is important? Yes, because Jesus is quoting from the scriptures. And at that time, they were, it was just what we have in the Old Testament. He's quoting from them. In Matthew 22.40, it asks the following that Jesus says. He says, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So everything is summarized on those two commandments. And so we see there in verses 29 and 30 that begins with, Hear, O Israel. What we see there is the opening words of the Shema. The Shema just means hear. And it is the prayer that is said by religious Jews twice a day. And the Jews, by the way, they accept these verses as the supreme confession of their faith. And the Shema, by the way, includes Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. The Shema includes Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21, and also Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 through 41. But as we look at Jesus' response here, to the scribe, where he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, we, we get the idea that our walk with God is, is not about us keeping a list of do's and refraining from a list of don'ts. We should get that picture. We should get that understanding here. And so the question that we should be asking ourselves is, are we loving God supremely? Are we loving God with everything that is within us? Are we loving him with our whole being? Because our love for him will actually drive our obedience to him. You know, Jesus says this in Matthew 10, 37. He says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You see, our Lord wants us to love him above all. He wants us to love him supremely, to love him with our whole being. Because once again, it will drive our obedience to him. It will be our motive for obeying his word. But unfortunately today, there's, there's many people who love mother and father and brother and sister and other family members, even close friends more than the Lord. And they would allow family situations and those close relationships to to drive their theology or what they should believe about God. And so they'll read certain things that the Bible would call sin, certain lifestyles that the Bible would call sin. But because it's somebody that they know, all of a sudden it's okay. Scriptures are clear, for example, that Living in adultery or a homosexual lifestyle. Living as a thief or a murderer is sin. Scriptures are clear about that. But but sometimes some folks put those relationships with those people in their lives above the Lord. 
to the point where now that drives their theology. Their theology begins to be molded by their life's experiences or their experiences with their friends or family members. Well, I knew them growing up, so if they're like this now, it must be cool. No, it's not. Because God is their creator, and if he says something is right or wrong, then guess what? He is correct 100% of the time. So we need to love him first. Love him supremely. Because truth is, we don't help anybody by supporting them in their sin. Why? Because sin is harmful. Sin is a spiritual disease. It kills. The wages of sin is death. I quoted that earlier from Romans chapter 6. Verse 23 is death. And so to support somebody in their sinful lifestyle because it makes them feel good. Because we don't want to be seen as bigots or whatever the case may be. So we want to pat them on the back so we won't look like the bad guy. We're actually harming them. We're doing more harm than good. Now, if we speak the truth, the scriptures are clear that we speak the truth in love. Of course, we don't speak it in hate. We speak the truth in love. And so we don't help people by supporting them in their sin, but we help them by sharing the truth. Why? Because John chapter 8, verse 32. And again, this is Jesus speaking. He said, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And so we actually help people by sharing the truth with them, by speaking the truth in love. Well, I feel this way, so I'm going to live this way. Like, no, according to the word of God, the God who loves you says that this is wrong. That's the truth. Speak the truth in love because it's the truth that makes people free. Not changing the laws of the land to make people who are sick in sin feel better. They need the word of God. They need Jesus, Dr. Jesus, to heal them of their sin sickness. They don't need people patting them on the back in their sins. Well, I feel I'm a a biological woman or man, but I feel like the opposite sex. How can you feel like the opposite sex when you've never been that? It's a lie from the pit of hell. But then demonic spirits, demons would, would persuade, would encourage Lawmakers to make laws of the land to support people in their sin. Why? Because it keeps them from their real purpose in life. It keeps them from truly being free. It's not going to really set you free from becoming the opposite sex because you say you feel that way. It's not going to make you free because you want to live the lifestyle God says is wrong. That doesn't make you free. Suicide doesn't make a person free. Alcohol, neither drugs. I don't care whether it's marijuana or crack cocaine doesn't make anybody free. But Jesus said it's the truth that makes people free. Therefore, instead of elevating people to a place where God is supposed to be in our lives as far as who to love supremely. We need to love them enough, love God enough, love them enough to speak the truth in love. And in doing that, we give them something that really makes them free. And so the question is, the second question, and piggybacking off of what Jesus said, is are we loving our neighbor? Our love for our neighbor will drive our treatment of them. And if we don't 
love our neighbors and other believers? Could it be that we really don't know God? Could that be the case? First John 4 suggests that. In verses 7 and 8 it says, Beloved, let us love one another for lovers of God. And everyone who loves is born of God. And guess what? Knows God. That is in a personal relationship. He who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. So if you know God, if you have a personal relationship with him, you become his child. That means you're going to show traits of your father. And so if God is love, then we as believers should be loving. We should be loving him supremely first. And then we should be loving our neighbor, including other believers, other children of God. And so is that what we're doing? Are we loving our neighbor as well? Mark 12, 32, it says, so the scribe, this, this expert in the law of Moses said to Jesus, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth for there is one God and there is no other but he. You know, today, if this guy was alive, he would get in trouble with saying that in this culture that we're living in. It's it's not a popular thing to say these days, but it's the truth. And remember, it is the truth that makes people free. And if the Bible says that there's one God, I'm not going to change it. I've never been to heaven. So I'm going to trust the one who dwells in eternity. About what he says about himself. Because this is what he says in the second half of Isaiah 44, 8. He says, Is there a God besides me? And that is a rhetorical question. That means it is expected that we already know the answer to that. So the obvious answer is no. There is no God besides him, the God of the Bible. He says, indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. If there were any other true and living gods, wouldn't he know? But he says, I don't know of any. That gets rid of some people's doctrines. And some other religions or cults who say that we become gods in the afterlife. If that were true, then God would have known about it. He says, I don't know one. He's the only God, the true and the living God. And because that's true, he alone deserves worship. And so who are we giving our worship to? Now, these days, some, some people worship their skin color. Because somebody shares the same skin color. Oh, they're, they, they're always right. They're never wrong. Are we worshiping our skin color? Are we worshiping our culture? Are we worshiping politicians? The rich and the famous. Or they're rich and famous. They got to the top for some reason. They must know what they're talking about. No, they don't. Let them stay in their places as entertainers. And when I want to know about God, when I want to know theology, I will go to the word of God. Don't elevate people to the place of God. Don't elevate skin color or culture to the place of God. Because in truth, there's really one race. That's the human race. Mark 12, 33 and 34, it says, and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, this is the scribe, 
with all the soul and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. In other words, he's, he's talking about relationship versus religion. Religion is, is work to earn our way to heaven. Work, work, work. It depends on us. We're talking about relationship in Christianity, loving God, him loving us. We're, we're sharing that, that love bond. And now when Jesus saw that the scribe answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. Now, what a great compliment to receive from Jesus. No doubt it was a good compliment, but it still shows that the scribe was not in the kingdom yet because he says you're not far from it. He still wasn't a part of it. But he's knocking on the door. Because he's acknowledging truth. So, so he, he's at least in the right position, acknowledging truth. So the question is, if there's anybody in here who's not a believer, who never repented and put their faith in Christ, if there's anybody watching online who never put their faith in Christ, who never repented and fully leaned on him spiritually, put their whole trust in him for salvation. If that's not the case in your life, my question is to you, do you want to be an almost kingdom person? Or do you want to be a true member of the kingdom of God? Do do you want to be one of those people who just acknowledge the truth and stop there? Or do you want to walk through the doors of the kingdom of God? And that, of course, will be through Jesus Christ. And personally, you know, I've witnessed to some people who remain in that camp. Shared the gospel with them. They would acknowledge the truth. Oh, wow, that's true. Oh, I never thought of that before. But then you ask them if they're ready to repent and put their faith in Christ. Oh, not yet. Give me a little bit of time. And we all know that tomorrow is not promised. You can't play with God. You can't play with salvation. Heaven and hell is eternal. Why? Because God is eternal. You're dealing with an eternal God. And so the reward is eternal. And also the the punishment or the eternal quarantine, if you want to use that word, is eternal. Because you sinned against an eternal God. And he will never change his character and approve of sin. See, Jesus died on the cross. And by his blood, he washed away sins and he made it possible for man to be forgiven. But only people who put their faith in him will appropriate or will enjoy that forgiveness and become part of the family and kingdom of God and will dwell with him forever. But people who die in that state of not receiving Christ will be separated from him for eternity. And it's real because Jesus talked about it. Now, our study tonight, what we see from Jesus is that he is a master of answering questions. And he's a master of answering questions, whether it's about the resurrection or whether it's about what's the more, most important law. 
He's a master of that because Jesus is God. And based on tonight's lesson, we can find the answers to many of our questions in a couple of places. No, this is not going to be an exhaustive list. I'm just going to stick with what's pointed out in this lesson tonight. So in this lesson tonight, we can find answers to many of our questions in life in a couple of places. And if it's not obvious to you, as pointed out in verse 24 of Mark 12, first of all, we find the answers in God's word because remember what Jesus said to them that you are mistaken because you don't know the scriptures. So first of all, God gives answers in the scriptures, in the Bible, in the word. Secondly, if you continue in verse 24, the answer can be found many times in his power. What I mean by that? I mean that when we consider God's power, we can find some answers. Because not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God is where people go wrong in many topics. Because if people would first of all just read and ask for understanding about the scriptures, they will get some answers. They will see what is biblical and what is unbiblical. They will see what is in God's will or what is not in his will. They will see what is sin and what is right. They will see what is pleasing to God and what is not pleasing to God if they will only read and know and understand the scriptures. But people go wrong. They are gravely mistaken because they do not know the scriptures. But also many people don't know the power of God. They don't understand the fact that God is almighty. That he is all powerful. If only they knew that all things are possible with him. There's some people who have questions about the creation. Oh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How can God do all of this? How can he do all of this in six literal days? They ask that question. They doubt it. Why? Because, again, they don't understand the power of God. That's why I say the answer sometimes, many times, is found in his power. They understood his power. They, they would know that there is nothing. And it is nothing for God to speak things into existence. To create a whole universe and the earth and its inhabitants in six literal days. Only if they understood his power. If they understood God's power, they would also have the answer to salvation. How can God save somebody like me? Well, if they understood that God is all powerful, that God can take the worst sinner, that he can take a murderer and turn him into one of the the greatest evangelists who ever lived. And the apostle Paul, for example, or if they knew his power and they would come to understand that, that he can, that he can save anybody. They understood his power that they can under, then they would know that he can change lives. Or the people who say, oh, I was just born like this. So all of us was born in sin, but we need a savior. We need someone to change us and mold us and help us to be formed to the image or conform to the image of Christ. 
But how can God change somebody like that? Well, they don't understand his power. If only you understood the power of God. Oh, how can you sit there and just pray all the time and you're not worried and you're not trying to fix it yourself, fix this problem yourself? Well, we pray to God because we understand his power. And so that's why I say many times the answer is found not only in the scriptures, but in the power of God. If we only understood his power as the worship team takes the stage. And, you know, in a day and age where there's so many questions and seemingly so few answers, we can rest assured or be confident that God, as demonstrated in our lesson tonight, he knows Everything. He has all of the answers that we need. And so in times of uncertainty, and I just want to encourage you tonight, I want to exhort you tonight in times of uncertainty, like the times we're living in right now, or maybe there'll be some other future time of uncertainty. I want to exhort you, encourage you to trust in the God who knows it all. Trust in the God of the Bible, the all-powerful God who knows it all. He has all the answers. He knows how everything is going to turn out. He knows his plan because he's the one who created the plan. He knows all the answers. He knows how to solve the problem that you're racking your brain about, that you're growing impatient about. Trust in the God who knows it all. But even better, I want to say it this way. Trust in the God who is the answer. He himself is the answer. So trust in the God who himself is the answer. And so just want to tell you to fill in those blanks with God. Darrell, what do you mean by that? You're getting weird now. Fill in the blanks with God. You guys remember the tests and homework assignments where you had these questions or maybe statements. And then there was a, just one line there and you had to fill in the blank. And sometimes we fill in the blank with the wrong answers. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we guess the answer and try to put, fill in the blank there. And so what I'm saying tonight, what I want to exhort all of us to do tonight is that when we have those fill in the blank moments in life, no matter what it is, put God in the blank because he's the answer. You, you don't have to guess what the answer is. Just put God in the blank and let him figure it out. Let him figure it out. He can handle it. Trust him. He can handle it. Fill in the blank with God. Amen. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that you have all the answers. We thank you that you are the answer. Whatever our problem is, we can turn to you and when we turn to you and fill in the blank with you, we know that we're going to always be right. 
because you are the right answer. And I pray for anybody in this building tonight, anybody who's watching online tonight, who's struggling with some things that, Lord, they've just been praying about and they've been asking about. They've been trying to figure out. And they've been trying to fill in the blank of those questions or statements in life and just nothing is working. They throw money at it and it doesn't work. They throw extra time at the issue and it doesn't work. They try to vote for somebody else and, Lord, they, they still find that they're not perfect. Lord, they choose other relationships, somebody else in a relationship with them. And it's, they find out that still doesn't complete the blank. That's still not the answer. So I pray tonight, Father, that you would turn many hearts to you, that people will be satisfied with you being the answer. Oh, people may think it's so simple. It's such a simple statement. Help us to understand, Lord, that you're not trying to have us jump through hoops. That you want us to simply turn to you and to lean into you, put all of our trust into you, to lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways to acknowledge you And I pray tonight, Father, that you would encourage my brothers and sisters that, yes, these times are tough, the political climate and everything is just crazy, but you are on the throne. Remind my brothers and sisters of that. Remind my brothers and sisters of the fact that there will not be perfect rule until Jesus comes back with his saints. And Lord, we want to be in that number. So, Lord, we do love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.